You know, as a pastor, every once in a while, you just feel the spirit prompting you to do something. And so today, I feel the spirit prompting, so I'm gonna ask you all to join hands. And let's, uh, let's lift up the Detroit Lions in prayer this morning. <laughs> if you would, join, kidding, kidding, I'm kidding. Those of you who don't know me, I'm a lifelong Lions fan. Yes, you can feel sorry for me. Being a Lions fan has, over the years, brought many sermon illustrations about suffering and faithfulness and loyalty, perseverance. And here we are today playing for the chance to go in the Super Bowl, and I really don't even know what to do. Like, I'm just like, go. If we win today, I'll have gear in two weeks. And so should a bunch of you all, because remember, it was about a year ago that y'all celebrated with me, and y'all bought a bunch of uh, lion's gear and wore it. So anyway, enough of that foolishness. That's not why we're here. We're here to worship and focus on Jesus. But I, I want to tell you a few stories to start this morning. I want to tell you the story of Susan and Jim. <clears throat> Susan and Jim have been married for 10 years. They were high school sweethearts. They just had their second child. At work, Jim's been doing very well, and he got a promotion. In fact, they're starting to work on plans to, to build a new house. That was until, until Susan found some messages on Jim's computer showing that he had been involved with another woman for the past six months. What's she going to do? Is she going to seek revenge? Is she going to somehow blame herself? Is she going to call a lawyer? It's another story. A girl named Emily. Emily has been keeping a secret. See, when she was a young preteen, she was sexually assaulted. And since that time, honestly and, and understandably, she hasn't been able to trust anybody. Emily feels worthless. And now Emily is in college. Emily is a beautiful girl, and all of the guys know it. But because of her low self-esteem, she decides that her purity isn't that important anymore and finds herself giving herself to just about anybody who wants. She feels shame. She feels guilt. She's riddled with fear. How's Emily going to overcome all of what she's been through? Let me tell you about Steve and Linda. Steve and Linda have been married for 20 years. Their marriage has been strong and growing. But recently, when Steve came home from work, Linda said something pretty short and sarcastic to him. And Steve responded, with anger. That night, both of them went to bed mad at each other. And you left to wonder, how long is that tension going to last between Steve and Linda? One more story. Tim. Tim, man, he's a great dad. He loves his kids like nobody else. He is a great father. And, and last sa Saturday, his son, Billy, came in the house, and, and Billy was in a hurry, and he just slammed the door. He, he did it because his brother Bobby wouldn't play basketball with him like he said he would, and Tim snapped at Billy. He said, you have an anger problem, son. And Billy looked at his dad and said, Dad, so do you. How should Tim respond? Just gave you four scenarios. What do those four scenarios all have in common? I mean, think about it. You kind of break them down. Two of them are very serious, infidelity and abuse. The, the other two scenarios are, are, are quite common, right? Seemingly ordinary. But in each scenario, here's what you have. Someone is sinning and someone is being sinned against. And we think about that, and we just kind of think about the world that we live in, and we go, why, why, does that, why does that happen? Why is there conflict? Why are there problems, whether they're big ones or ordinary, everyday problems that happen between 
between human beings? Well, the answer, I think you know the answer. It's because we are sinners living in a world filled with other sinners. That's the, the bottom line. And when it comes to those four scenarios that I shared with you, here's what you have in front of you. You have an opportunity to practice biblical forgiveness. An opportunity to practice biblical forgiveness. Now, I say biblical forgiveness because I'm convinced that much of what we say concerning forgiveness isn't actually biblical. At the very least, it isn't a complete picture of what forgiveness is supposed to be about. And so this morning, I I want us to, to get to work talking about forgiveness. God, at first, we know this, he forgives. And when he forgives us, he reconciles us. That's what, that's what salvation, that's what a relationship with God means. That means forgiveness means that we are now who were separated from God, we are reconciled, we're, we're brought back in line with our Heavenly Father, with our Creator. We're able to have a relationship that prior to that had been broken because of sin. Forgiveness is what lines us back up with our Heavenly Father. And when he says that he is quick and willing to forgive, he delivers on that promise. And when he forgives, we then have that hope, that promise, that guarantee of a relationship with him. This morning, the bottom line when it comes to forgiveness, and we're gonna learn this and tease it out uh, in the scriptures in just a minute, but the bottom line is very simple. It's very simple to state. It's awfully difficult to actually put into practice. And, and that's this, write it down. Forgiven people, forgive people. See, in, in the same way that we have experienced the forgiveness of God, when we learn to extend forgiveness in the same way that God extended it to us, that relationship that has been severed, that relationship that has been strained, and in some ways that relationship that has been ruined, has the opportunity to be made right, to be made better, to bring back in line, to be reconciled, just like our relationship with God is when we put our hope in him. I mean, how many, and I hope, some, I hope everybody can tell this this kind of story, but, but how many of you, and don't raise your hand, but how many of you can tell a story of a time when you or someone you know made an honest, an honest confession of a wrong, and you or someone you know genuinely extended forgiveness, and they said, I forgive you. If you can think to a time in, in your life where that happened to you or, or someone you know, I, I think you would, at least I'd hope you'd be able to say that because of that, because there was a, a genuineness about seeking and extending forgiveness, that relationship was made better. It was made better because that happened between me and somebody else. But there's some questions that we, we need to ask this morning before we jump into the text. And, and, and we're going to put them up on the screen, and we'll, we'll wrestle with them. The first question is this, why, why don't we forgive? Like, what, what is that? Whether it's just within, your, within a, your family, between your kids, your spouse, whether it's at, at your church, whether it's at work, whether it's in, with your neighbors, or whether it's even kind of just bigger picture as a nation. Why is forgiveness such a difficult thing? What does biblical forgiveness even look like? Is, is forgiveness simple or does forgiveness have some, some layers to it? Does it have a little bit of nuance to it? And, and then the third question is, how do, how do I know whether or not I've genuinely and biblically forgiven someone? With all that said, I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew 18. Matthew 18, if you're new today, again, welcome. We're glad that you're here. Um, we're doing a series to start 2024 uh, called Kingdom Stories, and it's based on the parables that Jesus told that begin with the phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like. 
And these are all parables where Jesus describes what it looks like when we allow Jesus to rule our hearts. Because by definition, we've said uh, the kingdom of heaven is wherever Jesus rules. Wherever Jesus is allowed to be the king, there is the kingdom. And so these parables help us to get a picture of what it looks like in the life of an individual, in the life of a church, or in, the, in, the, in the life of a nation where Jesus is allowed to rule hearts. So having said that, Matthew chapter 18. And, and, and this parable that we are going to talk, talk through and unpack, it's going to answer some, some of these important questions uh, about, about forgiveness. So starting in verse 21. Matthew, Jesus' biographer, one of Jesus' biographers, wrote this. He said, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Peter thought he was being super spiritual because in Jewish law you were required to forgive three times. And so Peter goes to Jesus and says, listen, how about this? How about I double that and add one? Does that make me a super saint? Does that make me a super spiritual person? And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You're not even close. And and why did Peter ask Jesus this question at this moment in time? Well, Jesus, if you would let your eyes go up a little bit in Matthew 18, he had just uh, finished talking about what we're supposed to do when somebody sins against us. And he says, when somebody sins against you, your next step should be going to them and talking about it so that forgiveness can be discussed and talked about and hopefully extended and received. Why are we to go to somebody when they sin against us? Well, the answer is very simple. They may not even realize it. They may not even realize that they've offended, that they've hurt you in your life. Not, not always the case, but, but often that can be the case. One of the, one of the principles that I've taught when it comes to forgiveness and one of the things that, that I've tried to practice, I've not tried to practice, I've not done it perfectly, but whenever there is an offense, whenever there's somebody who maybe says or does something to me that I'm like, okay, I wasn't not really sure where that was coming from, I have to make the decision to either let them know or let it go. That's the choice. When somebody sins against us, we either have to let them know, like, hey, can we sit down and talk about this? Because what you said, what you did, it hurt me. Or we have to be mature enough to be able to say, you know what? I'm going to let that go. I'm not going to let that offense settle in my heart. And so Jesus continues, and he says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Let me just stop right there. Again, we ask the question, why don't we forgive? And I think the answer is very simply, when you think of it in kingdom terms, we don't forgive because we don't always let the king rule our hearts. The kingdom of heaven is where Jesus rules our hearts, but when we refuse to let Jesus rule our hearts, we can often withhold forgiveness instead of extending. It's a simple but true reality. Let's continue the story. Verse 23 says, when he, this king who wanted to settle accounts, when he began to settle, one servant was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now again, depending on, on what commentary you read or what research you read, uh, there's you know, different thoughts about what 10,000 talents is. But here's my, my take on this. We're talking about billions of dollars. We're not talking about hundreds or thousands. We're not talking about one year's wage. We're not talking about 20 years wages. We're talking about a debt that was so ginormous. Is that a word? Yes, like kerfuffle. It's a word. So ginormous that it would be impossible. And so when the hearers heard Jesus tell the story and say 10,000 talents, that number would have been like him telling us today, this servant owed the king billions of dollars. The immediate conclusion in the mind of the hearers would have been, that's unforgivable. There's nothing that that servant can do about it. Verse 25, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold 
with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. Now again, that previous thing, would have, the, the previous verse about the 10,000 talents would have been shocking to the hearers. It would have caught their attention. That verse wouldn't have. Because if you owed a debt to somebody and you couldn't repay, culturally speaking, you were just sold, into, sold as a slave until you're able to pay off the debt. That part of the story would not, have, would not have moved the needle for the hearers. But then, what does move the needle? Verse 26. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, imploring the king, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And then in verse 27. And out of pity for him, some of your translations might say mercy for him. The master of that servant released him, let him go, and these next words, forgave him the debt. Forgave him the debt. If you have your Bible, underline that forgave him the debt. And that's really the starting point for forgiveness. If you were to try to put in, in, in words what forgiveness is, Write it down, forgiveness is about canceling debts. That's what forgiveness is about. It's about canceling debts. In the parable, we see the nature of forgiveness in the actions of the king. Jesus is in his mercy. He absorbed the 10,000 talent debt that the servant owed, that billions of dollars worth of debt, this unforgivable debt. The king said, no more. I'm canceling the debt. And again, the point is that that's what God did for us, and that's what he does for us, right? That whether you realize it or not, you carry inside of you an unforgivable amount of debt called sin. That there is nothing that you can do to work off your sin, to pay for your own sins, to pray your way out of your own sins. There is nothing that you can do. Your sin debt that you owe to God is in the billions. And there's nothing that you can do about it. But God still offers to us forgiveness. So, when we choose to forgive someone, that's what we're doing. We're choosing to absorb their debt. We're choosing to absorb their debt and to cancel any payment that they may owe, any punishment that we feel that, that they deserve. We're saying, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm gonna let it go. I'm gonna cancel that debt. We choose to not make the offender pay for what they did. That's what forgiveness is. How do you do that? I mean, that's, that's a great little point to make, but what does that even look like? How do I begin to practice that? Well, let me give you three commitments that the person who chooses to cancel the debt of somebody who sinned against them, three commitments that that person who's extending forgiveness must make. Three commitments. Number one is this, you commit to not bring up the debt and use it as leverage. Now or in the future. You don't keep it in your hip pocket as a, as a constant reminder to yourself. And, and then at the right moment and the right time, you, you pull it out and you go, oh yeah, well remember when you? Oh, oh yeah, remember how you always? Remember when this happened? Remember when that happened? If you're ever tempted to do that with somebody for a past offense, it's an indication that you truly have not forgiven them because you're looking for that moment that you can pull it out of your pocket and hold it against them. Throw it back in their face. Now, and this is important, okay? So I don't want you to hear me say one thing without the other parts of forgiveness. I said forgiveness has got some nuances. So here's the, the other part that some of you need to hear me say. This doesn't mean that you don't discuss the offense and deal with it in a way that hopefully helps to restore the relationship. It doesn't mean that you trivialize or minimize the hurt that the offense brought to you in your life, in your, you know, your, your, your journey. It doesn't mean that you minimize or trivialize it. It doesn't mean that in some cases that you don't seek justice. If somebody's sin against you is also a violation of the law, 
By all means, justice can and ought to be sought. And just because you seek justice doesn't mean that you're being unforgiving. It does mean that once you make that choice to forgive, you cancel the debt. You cancel the debt, and it's done. Another commitment that the person who chooses to forgive, like the king chose to forgive his servant in the story, in the same way that that God chooses to forgive us, is this, is you commit to not bring up the offense to others and talk or slander the offender. That's a commitment. And again, this this is hard. Why is it hard? Because, quite frankly, we want an audience. We, we want an audience. We seek an audience. There have been times in my life that I have sought an audience. Somebody just needs to listen to me, talk about what somebody said or did to me about me because there's something that feels good when we can back the dumb truck up and dump on somebody else about someone who has hurt or offended us. Again, we want to vent. We need to vent. Now, here's the nuanced side of that. That doesn't mean that when there's an offense, that doesn't mean that when somebody's hurt you, that you can't seek advice, that, that you can't look outside of yourself for counsel. By all means, that's a healthy thing. But it means that as you seek counsel, as you seek advice, you do it in a way that isn't slanderous. And you do it in a way that that seeks to to honor your desire to bring healing, to bring reconciliation into that relationship that has been hurt by somebody else's sin. There's another commitment that, that you have to make if you're going to extend forgiveness. You have to commit to not dwell on the offense personally. And this is probably the hardest part Probably the hardest part, because if you're human, and I know you are, you have all, we have all had those fantasy conversations, haven't we? They usually happen in the shower. You start thinking about somebody or some situation, and you're like, you know what, if I was standing in front of them right now, I'd tell them what this, and I'd tell them about that, and I'd, and I'd make that point, and then they would say this, and I'd be like, oh yeah, well what about this, and man, you've got it all, you know, you've got it all rehearsed in your head, and you know, it's all good, and all of a sudden, you're, you're, the water turns cold, because you've just been having that fantasy conversation with that person long enough that the, the water just runs out. And you're like, whoa, that's cold, I probably should quit thinking about getting back at this person, but we all do that, right? And, and, and again, it's part of our humanity, part of our fallenness. We have those times where we wish we could say this or that, but the commitment, if you're the person extending the forgiveness, is I'm not gonna do that. I can't do that. Why these three things? Why these three commitments? Well, think about it. You are canceling the debt before them, before others, and before yourself. And if you fail in any of these areas, you have not completed the process of forgiveness. Forgiveness is not complete. There's still work to do. Now, as we continue the story that gets, if you don't know the story, that gets really absurd, and you've probably heard this Sometimes it's to, you, you illustrate absurdity by being absurd. You've heard that before in some circles. I, I think Jesus is using some absurdity to, to illustrate absurdity. Let, let's continue to, to read the story and what we're gonna see in the next part of the, of the parable is this, is that forgiveness is costly. It costs the king to forgive the servant 10,000 talents. It costs the king, but not forgiving costs us even more. Big, big or small, there's always going to be a cost. And the parable, again, shows what happens when we're not willing to forgive. Let's jump in now at verse 28. It says this, but when that same servant, the one who had been forgiven of billions of dollars, 
unforgivable debt. The king says, I'm canceling it. You don't have to pay me back. I'm not gonna hold it over your head. I'm not gonna bring it up again and again and again. It's done. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. And again, depending on what you read, this is a few bucks. This is a day's worth of servants' wages. It says this, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Sound familiar? Same words that the first servant said to the master. But verse 30, this servant says, he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And people around the Jesus at that time must have been like, that's outrageous, that's absurd, that's ridiculous, I'm, I'm mad, I wanna find this servant, and I, I, you know, I wanna tell him what for. Verse 31, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Let me just stop right there. Again, we read this and we think that's just wrong and you would be right. It is just wrong. I mean, how in the world could this happen? How, how could this servant who was forgiven of 10,000 talents Billions of dollars worth of debt turn around and to the guy who owes him a few bucks, grab him by the collar and demand payment. We think that's just, I, I can't even believe that, that that would happen. But let's be careful now. Can't we, don't we do the same thing? Sure we do. How do we do the same thing? First of all, we, we often forget how much God has forgiven us. Guilty. We often forget the debt that we owed because of our sin and the reality of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. What he was actually paying for was he was paying for our sins. We forget that. And just like the servant, we begin to think like and we begin to play the victim. And we find and we dwell on the person who owes us 100 denarii. That person who just didn't follow through with what they said they were gonna do at work. That, that neighbor who didn't return the, you know, the ladder that they borrowed. Our, our kids, when, when they, you know, again, come running through the house with their muddy shoes on and just start filling in the blanks, right? And I'm intentionally just talking about those normal, everyday things that happen to all of us. We focus on their debt. We focus on what they did. And in the story, it caused him to think like a victim and it turned him into a victimizer. That's what happened. He became a victimizer in the story, again, Jesus illustrated, right? He grabbed him and began to choke him over a few bucks. It escalates quickly. And honestly, if we're, all being, if we're just being truthful, failure to forgive someone will change you. It will turn you into something that you don't want to be that you don't plan to become, that's the costly part. Forgiveness is costly, yes, but to not forgive will cost you even more. We begin to think and act like a victim, and it makes us a victimizer. And what happens? Well, again, in the story, the, the king finds out about it and says, all right, you dirty servant, if you're going to be that way, we're just going to throw you back in jail, right? It ended up bad for him. And, and let me just say this. Making someone pay 
for the wrong that they've done feels so right to us. It feels so natural. It feels so just. But God, who forgives us, calls those of us who are living in his kingdom, those of us who are living under the rule of a greater, better king named Jesus, he calls us to not do what is natural, what, what feels right. He calls us to do what is supernatural and what is actually the right thing to do. And that is to model his forgiveness that he's given to us. We model that to others. That's the parable. That's the story. And that's not always easy. And having said that, I want to address a few things about forgiveness that over the years have been helpful to me. I had to learn this. I had to, I had to learn this the hard way. But by God's grace, I've tried to learn this, put it into practice, understand this, teach this, and here's what I'm doing again this morning, trying to teach you the path of forgiveness. So one of the things that I learned years ago as I was working through some, some unforgiveness in my life, some unforgiveness in my heart, is I had to learn this, and this changed my whole perspective on, on forgiveness, is I had to learn this reality, that forgiveness is an event and a process. Forgiveness is an event, something we decide to do, and it's also a process. Again, go back to those opening scenes. Two of them were just ordinary, everyday situations. Both of them ought to be able to be dealt with. Hey, let's talk about this. Let's discuss this. Let's work this out. And, and let's seek and extend forgiveness as it's necessary. And then we move on. They, they, can, they can go away pretty quickly. The other two, again, scenarios about abuse and infidelity, that, that's, that's not so much, right? That, that, that's a process. That takes time to deal with, to work through. It could take months. It could take years, all right? That's what we say. Forgiveness is an event. Yes, there has to be a moment in time when the offended party the victim, in some cases, chooses to forgive. But that doesn't mean, poof, some, some magic forgiveness wand is waved over your head and now all of the emotions and all of the feelings and all of the hurts that you've experienced go away immediately. That's just not, it's just not realistic. That's why I think it's important and it's okay and it's healthy and it's good to see forgiveness as an event. It's something that I choose to do and it's a process. As a matter of fact, I believe this. If you don't see it this way, you'll be dogged by doubt about whether or not you have forgiven somebody because you think that forgiveness should equal forgetting and that's not it. You think that forgiveness should equal that everything is great and it's, you know, it's, it's unicorns and rainbows and lollipops and sunshine, right? And that, that's not the case. And just because that's not what you're experiencing in a relationship doesn't mean that you still don't have a bent toward, a desire for, an attitude, a posture of forgiveness. You have made the decision, perhaps, to forgive somebody. But man, you've got a lot to work through a lot to process, and that's okay. Here's a second thing about forgiveness that I think is super important for us to understand. And that's this, that forgiveness has a vertical and a horizontal aspect. A vertical and a horizontal aspect. Again, think about someone who has offended, somebody who has done wrong. They need to seek forgiveness in two directions, don't they? They need to seek forgiveness from God. They sinned against God, so they need to seek forgiveness vertically, but they also sinned against someone horizontally, so they need to go to them. So again, we, we see on the offended party's part, 
or on the offender's part, the need for, again, multi-directional forgiveness that has to be sought. I've got to seek it from God and seek it from somebody else. But what about the offended party's part? How, what does that look like, the, 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 the vertical and the horizontal part? I want us to, to look at a couple of passages. We're going to read them, and I'm not going to make any comments. I want to see if you see this too. First one is Mark eleven twenty five. Jesus says this, and whenever you stand praying, forgive. Pretty straightforward. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Again, look that, seal that in your brain for a minute. When you stand praying, just forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so your Father who is in heaven may forgive your, you your trespasses. Pretty straightforward. Now look at Luke 17, verses one through three. Look what it says. And he, Jesus, said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. Keep going. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. And then verse three, here's the one. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him and what? If he repents, forgive him. Hold on a second, time out. Does anybody see two, two different instructions there? Does anybody notice that? Mark says, forgive, no matter what. Luke says, forgive when someone repents. So, so what is it? Which are we to do? Some of you are like, well, I like Luke's instructions better. I'll stick with what Luke had to say. Well, again, they're addressing two different directions. Mark and Luke are, are looking at different facets of forgiveness. In the same way that seeking forgiveness is both vertical and horizontal, so is extending it. In Mark, Jesus is talking about, and the best way to say this, and might, this may not totally capture what I think Jesus is, is getting at here, but I think he's getting at our heart's attitude before God. It's just this posture that when we, when we think about the fact that we are sinners who continue to sin against a holy God, that that should always keep our hearts in check when it comes to forgiving others. Jesus is saying that an attitude of forgiveness, an attitude of forgiveness, a posture of forgiveness, the default setting of our heart is set to forgive. And that is a non-negotiable. If we want God to hear our prayers and we want God to forgive our sins, right, that in our hearts, I don't have the right to withhold forgiveness if I also recognize that I need forgiveness. I can't hold on to bitterness and resentment and anger. If in my heart I'm unforgiving, Mark would say we're in big trouble. We're in big trouble. Again, Jesus, again, in, in that passage, is talking about the vertical aspect of extending forgiveness. It's a one-way decision. God, before you, I've forgiven this person. I, I'm, I'm making this commitment. That person between me and you, God, I have forgiven them. Now, here's where we gotta listen. Here's where we gotta lean in. There's another aspect of forgiveness. It's the horizontal aspect. This is what Jesus is talking about in Luke 17, one through three, when he says, if he or she repents, then you forgive. This is, think of this as part of a, of a transaction between an offender and the offended. And, th and this is, again, this is logical, but it's not often taught. It's not often taught. Well, you should just forgive them. That's what's taught. It's what the Bible says. That's, that's, and that's where we leave it. But we don't, we, don't, we don't peel that back and kind of root around and really think about it. Yes, we ought to say, the best that I know my heart, I've chosen to forgive them for whatever, fill in the blank, with your story, with your experience, with your moments, with your life, right? 
I, I, the best of my ability, before God, I, I have forgiven them. That's the vertical part. And I'm ready to forgive them if they ask. I'm ready to forgive them if they ask. I'm ready when they ask to say, I forgive you. I've already forgiven you before God. That happened for some, for some of you, maybe you know, yesterday, last week, last month, it could be 10 years ago. But you've just been waiting for that person to come and say, you know what, I blew it, I messed up. Will you forgive me? Are, are we able to say in that moment, yes, I will forgive you. That's the horizontal aspect of of forgiveness that we don't talk about a lot. Well, some would say, well, Trent, isn't that unforgiveness? If, 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 we, if it takes somebody to come and say sorry for you to forgive them, then isn't it just unforgiveness? No. Unforgiveness would be them coming to you and saying, hey, listen, I'm really sorry that I said, that I did, that I acted, that I behaved, that I went there in our relationship. And you look at them and say, no, no, I don't forgive you. That's unforgiveness. Simply waiting for them to come to you, having already forgiven them before the Lord, that's not unforgiveness. That's the reality. And you say, okay, well, won't, won't me not forgiving that person horizontally, won't that just lead to bitterness and resentment in my life? Well, I hope not, because if it does lead to bitterness and resentment, guess who's sinning now? You are. And the way to bypass that is, is, is make sure. And we don't do this, you're not gonna bat a thousand at this, but our posture is that my attitude before God is, God, I forgive them. God, I forgive them. God, I, I, how can I not, how can I withhold forgiveness from them? for what they did, and again, what they did could be egregious. It could have just set the trajectory of your life in a course that you did not design, plan, or want. But God forgave you of the sin that set your eternity on a trajectory that you don't want. And he redeemed you and he he forgave you and he brought you into a relationship with him. So, so again, the very best that we can, we, we say, God, my posture toward this person and this situation is I forgive them. Because that's what God does to us. God's posture to you, the moment that you bowed your knee to him and you confessed your sins, you repented and believed that Jesus died for you and you believed that God through Christ was offering to you forgiveness, God didn't in heaven go, prove it. Prove you're worthy of my forgiveness. Show me something, big boy, and I'll think about it. No, God's posture toward us was, you sought forgiveness, I'm ready to forgive. I'm ready to forgive. That's his posture toward us. And that forgiveness paved the way between us and our Heavenly Father. It paved the way for reconciliation. And when we begin to think about forgiveness the way that I just described it, it can and should, and I think it does, begin to pave the way for reconciliation horizontally. But reconciliation in relationships will never happen apart from forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't happen until we recognize our need for that forgiveness. Again, go back to the scenarios. Think about Susan and Jim. She can say, I, can, I forgive you before the Lord, but until Jim admits his sin and begins to seek forgiveness, b begins to, to walk in, in purity and in holiness before his wife, how in the world can she possibly say that she's able to grant forgiveness? He's got to take the steps, right? Well, what if somebody doesn't? Eh, I get it. Like I said, like, this is a whole series of messages I'm trying to put into one, but I don't have anything to do till six o'clock tonight anyway, so it's okay. Anyway, 
But what if somebody doesn't ask for forgiveness, which is, which is possible. I've had plenty of opportunities. Some, so-and-so moved away. Some, so-and-so was, has passed away, right? They, they never asked for forgiveness, and they, their life ended, right? What do you do? Well, again, we, we have to first ask the question, when that person sinned against me, do they even know that they sinned against me? Do they know that they hurt me? Do they know they offended me? And that's when Matthew 18 comes back and gets put on the table and we say, look, if, if, if I'm gonna practice what Jesus taught, then I need to tell them that I'm hurt and I'm offended and that, that, that this caused pain in my life. You gotta let them know or you let it go. Letting it go is an option. It, it is the glory of man, the Proverbs writer said, to overlook an offense. It, there, there's something that's mature about not letting every sandpaper moment in life get under your skin. I'm just not gonna let that bother me. I'm not gonna let that offend me. It's a, it's a mark of maturity. It really is. And again, I'm not saying it's easy, but it is a mark of maturity. And there are certain things that you ought to let just not get under your skin. There are other things that wound you deeply. Those are the things I'm saying, look, we gotta deal with those things. We've got to be honest with them. But again, we go back to, is my attitude before the Lord one of forgiveness? That's, that's your part. Whether somebody seeks it or not, that's their part. What's your posture? And then one last thing is this. How do I know if there is forgiveness? Forgiveness is marked by peace. What is peace? It's, a end of, it's the end of hostility. It, it means that when you think about that person, that your blood pressure doesn't rise up. It means that if, if appropriate, and it's not always appropriate, listen, th- there, there are circumstances that reconciling the relationship is not, it's not a good idea. Okay, just because reconciliation can't happen in certain situations doesn't mean that forgiveness ought not be extended, okay? There's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. But do you, do you have a sense of peace when you think about that person, right? If, if, if the relationship has been um, strained or severed and it's been brought back together by forgiveness, is, is, it, is that relationship now moving toward a greater maturity, a greater depth of trust and belief in each other? How do I know if there's forgiveness at the end of the day? Here's what, this is, this is deep. Ready? At the end of the day, how do you know if you've forgiven somebody? Two words. You know. You know. Like, you know if you've forgiven somebody. You feel it. Or you don't feel it anymore. So, as the worship team comes and we get ready to receive communion, who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to make the decision, have an event where you're like, before you got, I'm gonna choose to forgive this person. Even though there might be a process that has to start, the the process part of forgiveness, you still have to make a decision. I'm going to, before the Lord, forgive this person. Who do you need to forgive? And if that person that you know that you need to forgive, if they came to you today, tomorrow, the next day, and they said, look, I, I blew it, I know it, will you forgive me? And it's, a, it's an honest, sincere um, request, admission of wrong, request for forgiveness, are you willing to grant it? Are you ready to grant it? If, if the answer is yes, great, if the answer is no, then you're still in process. There's still work that needs to, 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 to happen. Because when it comes to God's kingdom, that's what kingdom people do. They recognize that they have been forgiven, and because of that, they extend forgiveness. We're going to have a time of communion now, and uh, what I want to encourage us to do is, is take communion either by yourself or I'll let you, you know, again, encourage you to, to, to receive communion 
uh, with uh, a friend, a family member, a spouse. If you got your kids in here with you, you can do it with your, with your kids. Um, communion, this, this moment at Zion is very important because Christ wants it to be important to us. His death, his sacrifice ought to be remembered often. As a matter of fact, every time that we do this, it's an opportunity for us to, to, to worship him, to thank him, to be grateful for the fact that he offers to us forgiveness through his blood. That's what communion is. It's an opportunity, it's a lot of things, but one of many things that it is, it's an opportunity for us to express gratitude for the forgiveness that he offers us. In Paul's encouragement or in his instructions about, um, about receiving the Lord's Supper, he, he makes this statement that, that a lot of churches and pastors maybe overemphasize or they kind of twist it or use it to manipulate people. But Paul says, let a man examine himself and then let them eat and drink. And, and I don't know exactly what Paul meant other than we should examine ourselves. And, and that examination might look a little bit different, but here's my, exam, my challenge to you today is examine your heart to see if there's unresolved unforgiveness. If there's something that, that God, through his word, through his spirit, is pushing down on you, saying, look, you need to deal with this, examine your heart, be honest before God when it comes to these areas of unforgiveness. And if you need to repent, confess, whatever you, you need to do. If you need to make a commitment, I'm gonna go to this person. Before you receive communion, take a few minutes to examine yourself. And then, again, you can sit in your row or kind of get in a circle in the corners, whatever you want to do. You're gonna take the top off and somebody in, in your little circle will take the bread and offer us one sentence prayer. Jesus, thank you for your body. That bread is a picture. It's a way for us to remember his body. Thank you for your body that was broken for me. Then you take that bread and then you take the other lid off and you think about his blood and somebody just offers, it can just be a one sentence prayer where you simply say, thank you God for your blood that was shed for me. And then you drink that, the, the juice. And that's just a way for us to pause and remember what Christ did for us. And, and then here's the other thing, is if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't have a relationship with him and you're ready to begin a relationship with him, I'm gonna be hanging out down front uh, any of my other D group leaders, Pam, if you want to come and hang out down front, Matt, Ron, if you want to come hang out down front, anybody else, we want to help you. And if you just need prayer, if this message has, again, challenged you, poked on you a little bit, um, let us pray for you. And that's a, that's a good place to start is, is prayer. So, Father, we love you, and we thank you for this day. We thank you for your grace. Thank you for the opportunity to respond now in faith to what you've taught us. Um, we love you and we need you. And we remember, Christ, your body and your blood that was offered so that we could experience forgiveness. We love you, Christ. Amen. Let's stand.